Hey everybody, today's been such a great day. Um, just being together and joining in together and hearing about kind of our next steps in the midst of all that's going on with this pandemic. And it has been great to see people and to join in and to see faces. Obviously, we've been distant, whether in the park at Springbank Park, joining together and saying hello and hearing our next steps and coming around the scriptures for a bit. Or on Zoom, we had some people join us just to hear it's been a wonderful day. You know what's so beautiful is we've actually named people by name. Think about it. Four babies. I was going to say four COVID babies, but uh, somebody said to me this morning, don't call them COVID babies. So I won't call them COVID babies, but four babies in our community that have been born since this kind of pandemic hit us back in March. I mean, there's people that have had babies that I think other people didn't even know that they were necessarily pregnant. It's been that long. And it was beautiful today to be able to speak these names out of these babies uh, these image bearers of God, these, these little ones that we believe are going to grow up, far from perfect, but are going to grow up and we believe are going to follow the ways of Jesus and love him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. We also name today people by name in our community. You know, we talk about the babies and the joy and the life of that. Um, and it's so, so much fun. And then we also name people by name today that are actually leaving us that are moving. You know, COVID has done something, obviously, where people can work from anywhere remotely. And we have people in our church, students that have moved back, four key households that we named by name. Image bearers, people we love, people we've been in community with. You know, the joys of babies coming, but also kind of the pain a little bit of people in our own community moving and moving out of city. Some of them have been with us for a short period of time. And then there's others, other friends that have been with us from the very beginning when we started City View almost 10 years ago and now have transitioned into Praxis. And so it's been an amazing day just to reflect on God's love and where we've been, to celebrate things like our community during this time, giving to things like the food bank, which was amazing. Thank you for your generosity to things like the Avona Women's Shelter. We had heard throughout some of the pandemic that there was a rise in domestic abuse. And one of the things we asked is how can we help in and through this? And so thank you for your support in that. You know, one of the things we haven't had to do throughout this time is really talk about money. We didn't one of the things we didn't want to bear people with or be a burden with is to you know, come, come all the time talking about money. And we're just so thankful for, to you guys giving and pouring into our community. And you know, I think we need to talk about money in the right sense, but talk about it in an in a unburdensome way. And I'm just thankful to be a part of a community where people have really given above to see our community flourish and to really see our city flourish in different ways. And that's a testament to you guys. We're just so thankful. I'm thankful to be a part of a community like this that goes above and beyond. There is so much to be thankful for. And we're thankful for you and we're thankful for our next steps forward. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, the Bible opens in Genesis and it's pretty intense, right? So everything is out of order through sin and rebellion. Proto-human Adam and Eve go their own direction. They rebel against God. They do their own thing. And ultimately, God has a plan to heal the world through this, uh, from this brokenness. And that plan was through a family, through a guy named Abraham. And God actually comes to Abraham and calls him and tells him that his family will legitimately be a light to the nations. 
God tells Abraham, listen, who's going to come after you? Those in your line are going to fill the earth and you're going to be a blessing to the nations around you. Actually, the language in Hebrew in Genesis is that through you, these people will receive the blessing. And so basically, Abraham's family was to be this reconciling community, this reconciliation project in the world. They were to be the ones to show the world what God or what Yahweh was like. And if you read for like more than a minute after that, you realize that it doesn't go so well, right? Uh, It basically gets flipped on its head. This family is filled with liars, and cheaters. It's filled with deception and family drama. I think some of you can hear uh, the chants, Jerry, Jerry, right? Like if any kids from the 90s, you know this, maybe you shouldn't know this show called Jerry Springer. I was was gonna ask when we were together today, I asked uh, who is a Jerry Springer fan and then I realized nobody's ever gonna own up to that because that's just terrible. It's funny, I grew up in a family and my dad's name is Gary. So anytime there was family drama when we were little, we would always to try and kind of break the ice or ease the tension, we would chant Gary, 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 right? Um, but this family that's called to be love and light, they screw it up over and over big time. Lying, deception, cheating, and so forth. Murder, all sorts of stuff. And so Abraham has a son named Isaac. You know the story, Isaac has a son named Jacob and Jacob has a bunch of sons and his youngest son is named Joseph. And if you know the story, maybe you read it in the Bible or you've seen Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, I'll just give it, I'll just give props to Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Great, a great play. If you've seen that, Joseph's brothers become very jealous of him because he had a dream and we don't have time to talk in detail, but his brothers become jealous of him and actually sell him into slavery. And ultimately what they want to do is they want to sell him away. They, want to, they basically want to see him dead. When they sell him away, they basically think that Joseph is going to be gone forever. But if you know the story, he actually rises under Pharaoh in Egypt to be the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. Like God had his hand in this whole thing. And this Hebrew kid is now like right under Pharaoh, leading uh, the charge in Egypt. And so, if you know, again, you know the story, Joseph is reconnected with his brothers because there's a famine in the land. And so the brothers go to Egypt looking for grain. And of course, because Joseph is in the position that he's in, they come to him and they don't recognize him at the time. And Joseph recognizes his brothers and they go back and finally they come back again and Again, you know, if you know the story, they begin to see that this is Joseph and that their little brother who they actually had sold into slavery was now alive and he wasn't just alive, he was thriving, the second top guy in all of Egypt. And so you have Jacob, who's again, Joseph's father on his deathbed and Jacob is pleading with Joseph to forgive his brothers for what they've done to him. It's interesting, in Genesis 50, 20, we actually hear what Joseph says says to his brothers. This is what he says. He says this, You intended to harm me, obviously, in slavery, trying to kill the guy, basically. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. And then listen to what it says, The saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. This word intended is the the Hebrew word hashav, sorry. There's a great Hebrew right there, hashav. Basically, it's a plan. These humans had planned evil, 
but God, through the situation, planned good. It's almost like, think of it like this, that through all of this, God devised this whole thing for good, even though it was a horrible situation. God planned it for good in order to preserve this great nation of Israel. God didn't give up on his plan to Abraham. And think about it, you actually get here and and Joseph even says that there's the saving of many lives because Israel would continue on. Think about not just the famine, but think about what now Joseph represents for Israel in seeing the line go forward. It's actually the reality that through Joseph, his family and this community that God had called out Israel, remember great, great grandfather Abraham, remember him? That this, this community was saved was saved through Joseph. Now, what broken humans, along with the powers and principalities at play, what they often plan for evil, God plans for good. And one of the things I think, you know, when you read the Old Testament and when we wrestle through some of these things, I think we've got to be reminded that there are types and shadows in the Old Testament that point us to Jesus And I think Joseph is a type and shadow for us of Jesus the Messiah. Listen, Jesus was hated, right? And he was betrayed and executed in the most evil way possible. Yet God took the really, what was planned for evil, what the humans and the principalities and powers that were at play in pinning Jesus to a cross. The evil in that, God used it for good. And ultimately, as Joseph saved the line of Israel, Jesus went far greater and saved all of humanity. Joseph is actually a type and shadow for us to push us to the reality that Jesus is this one that gave his life and there is life in him. And there's evil all around us. We experience and see evil all around us, but God often uses those evil things for good. Now, let me just say this. Please lean in. Please listen very, very carefully, okay? Wherever you are, just listen to this and please hear me. I do not think that God ordains evil, okay? I There's people out there that follow Jesus and this is what they do. I am just not convinced on that. I have wrestled through the scriptures. I've wrestled through the story of God and I am just convinced that God does not ordain evil, Okay? nor do I believe that God is inflicting humanity with COVID-19. I don't think God is looking on the world going, ha ha, I got you, like a global pandemic, I'm coming after you. That's not, that's not what I believe is happening. Again, and we don't know, well, we talk about this a lot, we don't have a ton of time here, but I think broken humanity has a lot of responsibility. The, the, the seams of the human condition, the seams of the world in which we inhabit are completely broken because of sin and rebellion. Humans have that responsibility. And the more that I read the Bible, the powers and principality, principalities, this is what Paul calls them, this is what the New Testament talks about, that these spiritual beings, the powers against the living God have a lot to do, obviously, with the brokenness in our world. And they want to come against God's good plan for our world. And I don't think God is wanting to ordain evil or strike anybody with COVID-19. But here's the thing. Just as with Joseph and just as with Jesus, I do think God often takes what is meant for evil and he means it for good. I think a lot of times in really crappy, horrible, evil situations that are meant for evil, God takes them and he does good things 
out of them. And let's be honest, can we just be honest? I mean, COVID has sucked. Let's be honest. Now, for the introverts, maybe it's been a few weeks of, of realizing, wow, this is kind of cool. We live in an extroverted world and there's nothing like being an introvert. And I, at the end of the day, I'm kind of an introverted guy. So there have been some things maybe nice about it, at least at first. But, you know, this season has been hard. It's been hard for people. It's been hard for an economy. It's been hard for uncertainty of the future and all that's going on around us. It has been difficult. It's been hard for the church. You know, all the cool guys writing the blogs and doing the podcast talking about how important technology is in the life of the church. And what's really funny is that whether you're a big church or a little church or you're in between, engagement online has completely gone down everywhere. So all the, you know, all the forecasters saying, well, this is great for internet church. Let's be honest. I mean, the internet is beautiful. We put content online. We're thankful for that. But it just, it really hasn't, hasn't saved us. And yet through all of this and through the suffering and through the death even we've seen around the world in this, I do believe for the church that there are some good things that can come from this. What was meant for evil, I believe God can do good things and is going to spur us on to good things. I just want to share a few things and then what I'm going to do, I'll just take two minutes to share a few things and then I want to do is just share with you our next steps as a community. Hopefully you can lean in with us. But what good can come from this? Well, I think there's a few things. One is I think there's going to be less consumer church. There's going to be less consumer church. And please hear me, this is a good thing. I think one of the things, now that we've been stuck home for months and months on end, to legitimately participate in the community of Jesus, there's going to be less treating church like a sporting event or a movie. You know how some people, they kind of treat church like a movie. They'll hop around, they'll go to services, and then at lunchtime, they kind of critique what the church service was like. The music was good. Obviously, the teaching isn't that great, right? We just, we, we do this. We treat it like we just are deconstructing a movie. And while I don't think consumerism is, is going to completely go away, I think one of the things that this moment has done is it's going to spur us on to the reality that consumer church is just not going to work. We have technology. We have all these things at our fingertips. And I am, I'm actually thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that church is a gathered people. I'm, I'm thankful that God has called us together. And I'm thankful that as we move forward as a community, I think most people now have tasted and seen, if they were kind of on the fringe of really even following Jesus, the reality that brunch and Netflix and just life as normal is probably a better option. And that's okay. Instead of trying to be this consumer kind of uh, industrial, you know, kind of evangelical industrial complex, maybe we can kind of get back to the reality of what the church is supposed to be. I'm actually thankful that I think on the other side of this, there's going to be less consumerism. I'll also say this though, I think this season is actually going to bring us back to what's most important. You know, again, we've experienced, we've experienced what it's like. I talk to people all the time. They were just longing for rest. Well, guess what? You got your rest, man. Like, six, seven, how many, who knows how many months of rest. But I actually think one of the things that's going to happen is we're going to get drawn back to what's important. Apprenticing Jesus, being students of the way of Jesus, life together in community, participating in the gospel, being this community that embodies the gospel, not just in word, but that the, the world, the city around us would see and experience the gospel through a community embodying God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. 
And, you know, in the busyness of our lives, I just think one of the things that's going to happen with the church as we kind of move into to our future is it's going to get back to the things that matter. It's been really cool to see our students and our kids and how they're engaging and learning and growing. We've been in a season right now where really, if you want discipleship for your own kids, basically as a parent, you've got to do it. And I think that there's actually something good about that, that for once, it's kind of on parents as a community to to uh, to, to lead their kids and, and lead their kids in that. And I think that's really, really important and a big part of it. And so there's some been really good things that the simplicity that will come from this in the church, I think, is good. And then I'll say this. This is going to be a season that teaches us to look at time differently. You know, I've noticed in our context over the last, I don't know, three or four or five years, that people have become obsessed with their time. And in our culture, it can often come across that my time, my time, my life, is more important than yours. And that's a, that's a really difficult mindset to coexist with being the church. You know, I think one of the things that happens when we think our time is more important than other people's is it can posture ourselves to think that we're actually more important than other people. But I think one of the things, now that we've had all the time in the freaking world the last number of months, is to get us to re-engage what time even means and what my time looks like. It's going to get us to look as we move forward. This is my hope. It will get us to look forward and look at time differently. And listen, there's no judgment here, but this posture that my time is really important can breed kind of an idea or a culture that I'm just kind of fitting church in when I can, or I'm going to fit church into my life when it's convenient. And I think we can all be at fault for this because we ultimately all come from this posture that our time, our life is the most important. But that's really hard when we come to a thing like community. I think God wants to get us to see through being individuals for the last number of months in homes, isolated from each other. God wants us to see the bigger picture. And I'll just say, I'm at fault for this, right? I can be at fault for this. One is an introvert, but two, here's, here's an example. So if you were to come in pre-COVID to one of our gatherings at Praxis, we'd have a couple songs and myself or one of our team would get up. And here's what I would often say. I would say, I would welcome everybody, right? You know this if you've been around. Hey, everybody, welcome to Praxis Church. And I would often say things like this. We are so excited that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to be with us this morning. We're so thrilled you're here. Now, on the surface, that doesn't sound really that bad, right? It sounds actually encouraging. And here's the thing. We'll probably, I'll probably continue to say this because in our gatherings, we always have visitors and people that are with us for the first time. And yes, we want to make people feel comfortable, especially if they've been with us for the first time. So don't get me wrong. But can you see with me how backwards this kind of statement can be? Thanks for being with us. Thanks for taking time out of your really busy schedule to be with us. It kind of perpetuates the idea that my time or your time is more important than committing to a community. And I can be at fault for perpetuating this idea, oh my gosh, thank you that you're here. But think about it, if you follow Jesus, I'm not sure there's, and I'm talking to myself too, because I follow Jesus too. I'm not sure there should be an applause for us for gathering with the church. Guys, this is what we do. We're the gathered people of God. This is who we, this is who we are. 
you know, I'm not going to stop saying these things and being encouraging, but sometimes I catch myself going, why would you say that? Of course we're together. Who cares how busy or not busy our lives are? We're called to be this community of people, and my time does not take precedence over the community. You know, one of the things we got to lean into is thinking less as an individual and more as a community. And I just think a lot of people maybe haven't experienced the limits, let me say it, the L word, limits that the church brings in our lives. If you've never experienced the limit of how you spend your money and your time and what you can do on Sundays and throughout the week, if you haven't experienced that, then you probably haven't experienced the church in its fullness. Let me just be honest with you. The church actually limits our autonomy. And so often I'll say, ah, thanks for being with us. You know, you're so busy, but you're here. Let's be real. We follow the king and we are called to be together. And my hope is, is now that we've been stuck at home for months on end, is that we would look at time differently. We would look at our time differently. And my time is no better than your time and what you have. And you are no better than me and I am no better than you. This is what the church does. It just levels the playing ground where it draws us together. So with all that said, I do believe the future is bright. We as a team believe the future is bright and where God is leading and calling us. And I do think what the enemy meant for evil, God out of this is going to do good. Here's my thinking in all of this. I think this is maybe one of our last chances in the West to truly think about the Lordship of Jesus and what the church is correctly before Jesus comes back to set up shop. This may seem like disorienting for people who have known church to be what it is forever and ever. It's kind of the same thing. I actually think this disorienting moment, what, what you know, the enemy wanted to do for evil, the church could use and, and God could do good through it. And I think this is a moment for us to think deeply about what we could be as the church before I believe Jesus is going to come from heaven to earth and usher in his kingdom and will reign here forever. So I think what the enemy has meant for evil, God wants to do for good. Now, with that said, here's where we're headed as a community. All right. Um, About a month ago or more, we did a survey. And uh, thanks to Nate Rundle. We have a great team. Uh, Heidi Collins, Mark Rodriguez, and Nate Rundle and myself. We are the lead team here at Praxis. And I'm so thankful for these guys and gal. And so Nate Rundle did a great job leading a survey of just trying to engage where people are at, how people are feeling about this moment, what are people comfortable with, what are people thinking about the future. And so we put the survey out, a ton of people responded, and we're thankful that you guys responded. We're so thankful that you took the time to do that. And there's two main things that at two key points that came back from this particular survey. One is that people were more prone being together than they were wanting to watch online. The reality is most people responded with they wanted to be together. Socially distanced, you know, Middlesex health, making sure we do all the right things. But if we could be socially distanced and do it together and be together, then people would much prefer that than hitting play online Sunday mornings. And let's be honest, most of you are playing hooky and watching it later in the week or whatever. And, and this kind of jived with the reality that church is not something you hit play on. Church is flesh and blood. It's people together. And so we were feeling this, but it was really interesting to hear that people much rather be together than just watch something online. Now, th- that doesn't mean we're not going to, we're going to take everything offline. We'll still put our teachings and stuff online, but it was just affirming for, uh, confirming for us that what we were kind of feeling, other people were feeling as well. But the second thing was this. One of the things we thought, because Heather and I have made a blood oath, we love home church. We have a home church here, you know, pre-COVID. 
where we have dinner and meals together every week and it's like the highlight of our week. It's amazing. So we thought maybe what we would do is we get people into homes and on Sunday mornings people could watch in homes and, and spend time together. But what we realized is that people actually in the survey preferred larger and in particular outdoor space instead of people's homes. I think there was maybe a little bit of concern that if we all go to homes and then it gets into the cooler seasons, that that may not be as good as being outside for a season. And uh, the, the consensus was is that people rather be together in more of a large group, socially distanced, than in somebody's home in the near future, which kind of surprised us. I thought maybe that's the way we'd go, but it was important for us to get feedback and that's really important. So here's the thing. Our plan is this. We don't have a super long-term plan. But starting Sunday, September the 13th, we're going to host gatherings in Springbank Park at 10.30 a.m. Many of you know where Storybook Gardens is. You can park in Storybook Gardens parking lot and we're going to be in the park right there by the train. We have a setup. We have a tent. We have a place in space. We actually have already tested this at our town hall and it went really, really well. People loved it. Uh, people were engaged and we socially distanced. We had kids packs for the kids and it was just a, a phenomenal time. And so this is what we want to do for the months of September and October. 10.30 a.m. gatherings at Springbank Park where we gather together. We're socially distanced and we, and we gather together. We'll have kids packs again for the kids. And we'll also continue to resource lessons online then for the kids. Now, our gatherings on these mornings are going to incorporate worship and music. We're going to have obviously some teaching here, stories. But they're going to be shorter. They're going to be about 40 to 45 minutes long, starting at 10.30. We encourage you to bring lawn chairs, blankets, join in with us. It's like Jesus Sermon on the Mount style. It's going to be cool. And we, honestly, people really enjoyed it. We distance ourselves following Middlesex Health Guide and, and uh, their uh, regulations, which is great. So join us if you feel comfortable with that. The other thing, because it's shorter, we'll offer midweek some follow-up to our teachings that will take it deeper. We'll make sure to give opportunity for people to kind of engage further. But as well, we also know that some people may not be comfortable with coming even outside for September and October, and we totally get that. So one of the things we're looking at, if there is enough interest, is we love to host Sunday evening gatherings online on Zoom. And so if that's you, or you don't feel comfortable going to a Sunday morning gathering, even outside socially distanced, we'd love to keep you in the loop, and we'd love to have a Sunday evening gathering on Zoom. All this is going to take is enough people participating. So if that's you, we'd love for you to reach out to us at hello at mypraxis.church and let us know that you would like a Sunday evening gathering that we would replicate on Zoom in the evening. We'll keep you up to date and up to speed if we have enough people to run that. But for now, for sure, 10.30 a.m. we're going to run these gatherings. Now, you're thinking, what about weather? We know. We, we live in Canada. Weather is unpredictable. We're not, you know, we just don't know what each Sunday is going to look like. If the weather is a no-go for some of these Sundays, what we're, what we're simply going to do is let you know in enough time and we will gather in real time on Zoom and do exactly what we were going to do in the park but on Zoom together. Music teaching, gathering together, joining in as the family, and being the church in real time. In October, our plan is to have some baby dedications. for uh, if, if those parents want their children dedicated, we're going to have baptisms in October, and we're just going to kind of march forward, socially distanced, but looking to the future. As far as November, December, and the colder months, we're not sure yet. We'll keep you up to speed. But for the time being, this is where we're headed. We're moving into the future, and uh, I hope you can join us in the park on Sundays. Grace and peace.